Welcome to BehindTheTin.com, a podcast that introduces you to the heroic men and women who wear the tin while protecting our community and hearing about the extraordinary things they're doing when they're badged in their locker. The good lieutenant, Stephen Jay, is here with the civilian producer, Justin. What's happening? What's happening, my friend? We're doing all sorts of good stuff today. I'm so excited. This uh, this guy that we're going to have on, and I don't want to jump ahead of stuff because we've got some sponsors to mention, but this guy is a legend. Yeah. Yeah. This was this. Uh, you shared with me the book that he wrote that he will be discussing in the podcast, and it was absolutely phenomenal. Before we get ahead of ourselves, let's thank today's Cocktail Liver Conversation sponsor, and that's Mark C. Mark C. from Red Hook, New York. Thank you so much Ooh, for Red listening Hook and representing. Being, being a sponsor for the Cocktails Over Conversation. Once again, thank you to Hyde Park Brewing Company for giving us that nice blonde ale. Delicious. Justin's favorite. I'm always so appreciative and thankful. A couple more sponsors, thoseguysprint.com. Those guys print for all your custom apparel needs. Visit thoseguysprint.com. All right. What else we got here today, Justin? I'm, I'm You know, I got tabs in the book here. Because it was such an easy read. I read it in like an afternoon. Right. And I was just blown away. You know, I had my experiences with 9-11, obviously being in the Hudson Valley, New York. Mm -hmm. Tragic for us. More tragic, obviously, down in the city. Uh, The views that I had were after the fact, you know, going down and and helping with with the food delivery. Right. uh, From the culinary. But this guy, it's more than just him being there. Because he wasn't there when it really happened. You know, reading the book, he, he goes there after, but he's there just before, and it's all because of a helmet. All because of a helmet. Yep. In Florida, nonetheless. A helmet in Florida. Well, wow. let's not ruin the story. Let's bring, let's bring on Jerry Sanford. Well, Jerry Sanford, welcome to Behind the Tin. We're, we're so pleased to have you here with myself, Stephen Jay, the good lieutenant, and Justin, the civilian producer. Well, happy to be here, guys. So Thank you. We, we wanted to get the, the little bit of background. Uh, I know that you served in the, the Navy after getting out of high school. Correct. And, and then you went and became a cop. But let's, how'd you end up in the Navy? So my last year of high school, I, we palled around. A bunch of guys went in the Navy Reserve. Like I said, the owner of the bar was a uh, chief in the Navy. So, uh, I kind of went along with the boys and I joined the uh, Navy. And uh, when I graduated in uh, in 55 uh, from high school, uh, I then went to work on Wall Street. But then November of 1956, I had to do my commitment to the Navy. So I went away for two years and I served on a radar picket ship up in Davisville, Rhode Island, froze my ass off. It was terrible duty. Back in those days, you know, the Russians are coming, the Russians are coming. So what they did was they outfitted these old Liberty ships that they used during World War II. They put all kind of uh, sophisticated radar gear on them. And we went out and sailed up and down the East Coast, uh, reporting every uh, aircraft that left and came into the United States. So the highlight of my two years in the Navy was I went to Kingston, Jamaica once and to Gitmo about four times. So that was my illustrious, but they fed us good. So uh, I got out in 1958, and uh, shortly thereafter, I got married and went uh, back to work on Wall Street. About 1964, my company hired a part-time firefighter. And at that time, I had no idea being a firefighter or a police officer, but he kind of convinced me, why don't you take the civil service tests 
uh, to go on the job, which I did. And I took the cops and I took the fire test and I, uh, I got higher marks on the cops and I was put on the list and I got uh, called in uh, 1965, June of 65. I left Wall Street and I went on the police department. Only a small pay cut when you left Wall Street to become a police officer. Well, let me tell you, I'll tell you, uh, Stephen, it was... I was making blood money on, on Wall Street, working all kinds of crazy overtime. In fact, uh, we had a child. We had Glenn, who was a little boy, and I had a brand new house. I was making about $12,000 a year on the street, which that was big money. And I took a pay cut. To, ready for this? $7,032. Cut it right in half. Wow. That's what a New York City police officer started with in 1965. Holy smokes. So we ate a lot of hamburgers. I looked out at the backyard at the dirt for a long time before we ever even could put grass in. But we survived. And uh, I was assigned to the 7th Precinct on the Lower East Side of New York. And you talk about a culture shock. Here I am, an Irish, Irish white kid from Staten Island, and I get assigned to an all-Jewish Puerto Rican precinct. So uh, you talk about a culture shock, you know. And uh, so I was there for uh, almost three years. I spent my last uh, nine months on Staten Island in an operation they called, a new program called Operation One, uh, one Man Car. They put us a uh, precinct in Queens and the 120 precinct on Staten Island, and they put all us rookies uh, in a radio car uh, by ourselves. And that was the experiment that they started. <clears throat> so I lasted, I got called finally, uh, good Lord came through and called me for the fire department. So I switched over in 1968 and uh, went out to the Rock, went through the 10 or 12 weeks in the summer of 68 and uh, graduated and was assigned to Ladder 23 in uh, uh, just I was my assignment was Ladder 23. So don't be kid like I was. Uh, but at that time, I was uh, I was 30 years old and that's old. I mean, if you guys know how it works, you usually get on the job when you're 21. Yep. I didn't go on the police department until I was 26. So uh, anyway, getting back to ladder 23, I look at my assignment. I said, that's not bad. 23rd Street in Manhattan. So the instructors start laughing their ass off and they said, hey, kid, you know where you're going? You're going to Harlem. Harlem yep. I said, Harlem? the hell is Harlem? I said, <laughs> it's another uh, world. So sure enough, I went to ladder 23, engine 80, 150, 139th street and Amsterdam Avenue, right across the street from CCNY. Well, I tell you what, that was the greatest, uh, assignment going there as a probie. And, uh, I was the first probie in ladder 23 in eight years, but oh, I so was you were treated with oak, open arms. They, they welcomed you. I'm sure. Oh, my God. Yeah. Go to the store. <laughs> you know, the usual peel of potato. You know, the real shit, you know. But they tried to break my chops. So I was like, wait a minute. I'm an ex-cop. Stop. You know, you know, I'm not going to I'm not going to put up with your, you guys bullshit. But I tell you what, I worked with some fine, uh, the best uh, white, black guys I worked with up there. It didn't matter. It didn't matter the color we had. I was trained and learned under some great, great men. Uh, in ladder 23. And I stayed there, I guess, until about 1973, 74. Uh, I then transferred because of a hardship. My wife was, I was having some medical problems with my wife. So then I transferred from Harlem to ladder 131 
in Red Hook, Brooklyn, which was another great place. Uh, a lot of old timers there um, learned a lot more of the job. I mean, they thought I was they thought I was a big deal because I came from Harlem from Ladder 23, you know, but that was like an inside joke. But uh, I stayed there and uh, I was studying and I, I got to meet uh, the brother of the fireman that taught me to taught me into taking all the tests. His name was Don Rulin. And uh, he was a captain of 204 engine and he got promoted to battalion chief. And as you know, battalion chief need an aide. So Donald called me and said, hey, uh, why, don't you, uh, why don't you come and drive me? I've been assigned to the 4-8 Battalion. So I left 131 after a number of years and uh, went up and drove, start driving uh, Chief Don Rulin in the 4-8 Battalion. And that took on a whole different uh, way of looking at the job, you know? Yeah, it's a behind-the-scenes uh, look, right? You're seeing all the, it's a behind the scenes kind of look. Yes, yes. You'd pull in the, the the rigs would be there, the men would be stretching the lines, and the 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 ladders would go up, and you would get the information and uh, help the chief with the what was going on, and then uh, reported everything, did all the fire reports. So we then moved uh, from the four eight battalion. He transferred to Staten Island, where I live. So I went with him, and we stayed for about a year and a half on Staten Island, and then he got promoted to deputy chief. And of course, newly promoted deputy chiefs, most of them went to headquarters. Yep. So I reluctantly left Staten Island, which it was quiet. It was like a camp. You know, I, uh, you know, I, I like to go to jobs and, and have fun. And uh, anyway, we, I wound up in fire headquarters and shortly thereafter, uh, Don went on medical leave. And there I was, uh, I would take his car and drive by myself every day up to headquarters. Uh, at the time, was at uh, 250 Livingston Street. And I got involved with a lot of projects. Charlie Rivera was the fire commissioner at the time. And Bill Fian was the uh, first deputy fire commissioner. And then one day, a uh, lieutenant walked by from the press office and said to me, uh, we have an opening in the press office. I said, what are you, crazy? You know, you mentioned, first of all, nobody wanted to go to headquarters. That, that's number one. It's like going to one uh, police plaza. I mean, who wants to go down there? You know, there, there's too many bosses, too much crap going on. <laughs> so I thought about it for about a week and a half. And uh, the worst thing Maria said to me, uh, my wife, what's the worst thing you can happen? They send you back to a firehouse. So I then went in and talked to uh, Chief Bean, who I had known. He was a battalion chief in the 3-1 uh, when I was in the 4-8. Anyway, uh, the, he said to me, come on, the fix is in. He said, by this time, I had about 20 years in the job. And uh, Charlie Rivera came in, the fire commissioner, says, Jerry, you know, we know about you. You know the job. We're looking for somebody uh, with uh, that knows the city. So I, uh, he said, you got any dress clothes? I said, yeah. He's well, this is the last time you're going to be in a uniform. So a couple of days, so I wound up in the press office. And I uh, had a secretary and... Uh, Frank Martinez, the lieutenant, he he got shanghaied out to the Bronx. I don't know what happened, but he left. And there I was running the uh, the press office. And uh, uh, it was a great job. I, I took on a whole new um, way of, of, of dealing with the, with the fires. You now, know? Jerry, when you first started as a firefighter, you didn't even know the press office existed no. or a firefighter would be assigned there, right? Without question. Without so that, question. that's is, what always interests me is when people end up in jobs they didn't even 
you know, expect to, to get to, but the happenstance and the, the path that you took led you there. Steve, I have, I have no idea. I, sometimes I have to say, what the heck? How did I get here? <laughs> you know, I went from an, a chief's aide, I mean, a firefighter in two truck companies to a chief's aide to the press office. I mean, it's, you talk about a, a run. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I, uh, I really uh, uh, learned it, learned more. And then one day this man walks in and uh, I said, I know who you are. You're, you're Mayor Koch's uh, bodyguard. He says, I'm not freaking uh, Koch's bodyguard. I'm his press secretary. I said, what the hell is your name? He says, I'm Tom Kelly. Oh, Tom Kelly. Oh, okay. I heard about you, he says, Sanford. He says, it's going to be the Tom and Jerry show. He was the deputy commissioner for public information. So he was my boss. Wow. So he said, I tell you what, kid. He's calling me kid. Meanwhile, I'm older than him. He <laughs> says to me, uh, uh, I know shit from Shinola about the fire, the fire department. I know the red. The fire engines are red. What do you know about being a reporter? I said, nothing. He's okay. We're going to make a great team. I'm going to teach you how to be a reporter. You teach me how to run the, how to be a, uh, a, a take care of the uh, fire department. And that's how we did it. We did the Tom and Jerry show. And it was remarkable. The camaraderie, we both lived on Staten Island, as it turned out. And he taught me how to respect and to be a reporter. You know, let them in, let them get their shot. They'll do, do their B-roll and they'll have enough to go on the broadcast, whether it be six, nine or 11 o'clock at night. And uh, I taught him all about the fire department, ladders, hydrants, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, uh, we made a great team. Uh, he, of course, would note it. I mean, he was press. He was the press secretary to Mayor Koch. So we'd walk into the hall. You know, that's what you called it. Not city hall. You walked into the hall. Forget about the metal detectors or any of that crap. You know, the Tom and Jerry's. We just walked right in like it was like we owned the place. And literally, Kelly did. And uh, I got great tutorage and learned uh, to respect uh media and how it worked. In fact, when I retired and came down here and went to work for the North Naples Fire Department, I taught a media course all throughout the state of Florida to firefighters to teach them how to, you know, let the, let them, let the media get in, you know, clear a place for them, give them their shot, give them a, a quick interview, whether you or the chief talks to them and they're out of your way. So uh, I taught thousands of firefighters. I hope to this day they're still using some of my advice. Uh, but I taught it from the street. What I learned, what Tom Kelly taught me, I passed it on to the firefighters down here. Well, you had such a unique perspective. I mean, not many PIOs start in the trenches. Usually there's some kid that came out of a media class that get hired specifically for that job. They're not necessarily right. a guy that came up through the firehouse. I mean, to be the chief's aide alone is a job that's sought after in the firehouse. You know, right. That that right there, and then to, to be able to progress to the PIO of the biggest fire department in the world, you know, and then to, to go to Florida. And, of course, people are going to come to you because you have that knowledge and that interest uh, that they're looking for. So kudos to you for taking that and actually doing those classes because, yeah, I'm sure there's still people down there that are listening yeah. to the advice <laughs> that you gave them. Yes. Yes, Steve. So it was a, a great run. Um, and then uh, I retired and uh, – uh, Tom Kelly left and he became the uh, commissioner of uh, uh, corrections and then, uh, he, uh, excuse me, the D DCPI for corrections. And then he went over to the PD 
and he was a DCPI, I think under Ray Kelly, I'm not sure which commissioner, which uh, uh, police commissioner uh, Tom was under. And then we kind of separate our ways. And uh, I retired in 1997. And uh, my son had a home inspection business in New Jersey. And he said, Pops, uh, you know, why don't you come to work for me? But what kind of drove me out of the, oh, oh, not drove me out, that's not the, uh, why I retired was we, we merged with EMS, okay? And EMS came in uh, like a herd, you know? Uh, it got to the point where I thought that uh, they took us over, you know? Uh, I mean, they were nice. They were kids. I mean, yeah. but I, I had been doing this. You know, I went down hallways. I stretched line. I mean, I, you know, I was uh, in the job. And uh, so I, anyway, with that, I had kind of left me with a bad taste in my mouth. So when my son David said, Pops, uh, by that time, I think I had 29 and a half years in the job. So I retired. Anyway, uh, I come down here in 2000 and uh, I'm here five months driving my wife nuts. <laughs> put the No, the dishes go this way in the dishwasher. You got to do them south to north to eat. She's saying, get the F out of my, uh, you know. So, <laughs> so I, uh, I see an, uh, an article in the Naples Daily News that they're having a refresher CPR course at Naples High School. I said, see? I'm going down to, so I go down to high school and they load up all us old people and they put us in an auditorium. This woman gets up on the stage and she says, I'm Chief Diane Flagg, blah, blah, blah. We're going to teach you the mouth to mouth, the chest, chest compressions. Okay, fine. I said, lady, I'm going to ask you for a job. You have no idea. <laughs> so, so the two hours is over. I walk up to her and I still had my business card, which was pretty impressive, guys. I mean, it's, Jerry Sanford, press secretary. I mean, not too many people walking around. That's for sure. You know, so uh, anyhow, uh, she said, I have somebody that does the media. I said, well, now you have two. I said, he's not like me. I'm from New York. You got to be kidding. <laughs> so she's looking at me like, what colonies you got, pal? You know, you're telling yeah, me. I'm uh, from New York. That's what I got. From New York. That's, that's right. why. <laughs> so, uh, okay, the following Monday, I go out, play golf, come back. Maria says, well, Grandpa. A chief just called from a fire department down here, and he wants you to come in tomorrow. I said, really? She says, yeah. I said, where's that? She says, North Naples. I said, North Naples? Where the hell is that? I thought it was, guys, I thought it was one department. You know, what did I know? You know, well, there's like, at the time, it was like 12, 11, 12 different fire districts or fiefdoms. Everybody had oh, their yeah. little. Sounds like Hyde Park. Know. Yeah. That's yeah, like that up it in works. upstate New York. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, uh I go in the following uh, Tuesday, my Madison Avenue white, white shirt, red fiber tie, blue suit, like I was with Rudy, you know, like it was. Uh, and everybody's looking at me like I'm nuts. The chief is looking at me. He takes my resume, throws it on the end of the end of his desk. And he says, hey, you want to listen to Brooklyn CEO? I said, Brooklyn CEO, what are you, a buff? Oh, yeah. Said, you sound like you're from Mass. <laughs> what the hell are you doing here? You're from Massachusetts? What are you doing here in Naples? He says, oh, a friend of mine is one of the fire commissioners. He told me there was an opening, blah, blah, blah. So, excuse me. So he, re he relocates from Worcester, Massachusetts. So now the chief of the North Naples Fire Department is from Massachusetts. He's not a redneck. And that's a big, big difference. <laughs> there is no, I'll say it now. There's no Southern chief would ever hire 
a New Yorker. A Yankee. Because they were still fighting the war down here, if you got my gift. <laughs> so I get hired by Jim Tobin from a Massachusetts native firefighter. And as uh, 15 minutes, 20 minutes into the interview, he says, see that Crown Victoria out in the parking lot? I says, yeah, he says, that's your car. I said, what do you mean, my car? He says, you want the job? I said, yeah. I said, but don't you have to go above? Don't you have all kinds of? He's like this with a scholar. I'm the chief. There you go. You want the job? I said, yeah. He's okay. I mean, I'm thinking, you know, all the different layers of assistant this, yeah. blah, 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 blah. So anyway, I started on May 15th, 2000 as their public information officer. And uh, about a month into my employment here, he said to me, we have a New York City fire helmet here. I said, wait a minute, how did you get a helmet from New York City? He says, well, a, a, a man lives in Pelican Bay. It's a real upscale high rise community here in Naples. And he walked in one day, it was his father's helmet. He didn't want it anymore. So I thought that was kind of strange that a man would yeah. give away his father's helmet, okay? Well, let's take a ride. So we ride over the ladder 44 and never up on the wall is this fire helmet. And I see the 42 in the front. In fact, that's name in our book. I said, Jesus, that's that's some 42 truck. He says, you know what? I said, sure, I know it. I said, that's Von Essen, my old, the fire commissioner. That's his old firehouse. I said, 73 engine, 42 truck. I said, holy shit. So I, we go to the phone. I call headquarters. I get Von Essen on the phone. He was my boss. Right away, he's abusing me. Who would who would hire you? <laughs> piece of shit. We just got rid of you. Yeah. you spend right back years. to you. Haven't seen him in two days. Right. Perfect. You know, typical cops and fire. You know, oh, yeah. you, know, you know how that works. <clears throat> so I said, Tommy. I said, uh, it's crazy. I tell him the story. He said, uh, Why don't you bring the helmet back? I said, I'll bring it back. He said, But there's one. The house is being renovated now. Now this is July of 2000. <clears throat> okay, so the year almost goes by, and in August, Frank, <clears throat> excuse me, Frank Ribbon, who took my place as the press secretary, he calls me. He says, "Jerry, you better make your plans. Uh, where the house is almost done, uh, Mayor Giuliani, all the officials will be there, and they're going to cut the ribbon on September 10th." Okay, September 10th. What the hell did I? That's another day. So what's it? So we flew up to New York with the helmet. On September 8th, I took him to Harlem. We went to 23 truck, a ladder 131. I took him to Brooklyn CO. They could fire dispatches and all. I never even thought about going to the Trade Center. Why would I, why would I take him down there? So on September the 8th, we, uh, excuse me, September 10th, the day before 9-11, we go to 42 truck. And there's hundreds of retired firefighters came back for the re-commissioning re, uh, of the firehouse. On the apparatus floor, they built an altar because my dear friend and one of our Catholic chaplains, Michael Judge, was gonna say mass. <sighs> Who at the time would have known that this was the last mass that he, that he said? And I was, in, 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 I was there. So Father Judge said mass. Uh, we, we gave the helmet back to the captain of 42. We cut the ribbon with the mayor and uh, finished the ceremony. We all went next door. 
to a Dominican Republic social club. And we had the usual cold cuts and beer and stuff. And we all sat around. And uh, uh, I guess it was about three o'clock in the afternoon. We said our goodbyes. Father Judge hugged me and blessed me. Powerful stuff, Jerry. Powerful stuff, man. Uh, I'm sorry. Just give me a minute. No, yeah, no, no, we get it. And uh, for uh, those who are listening and may not recognize the name, Michael Judge, he was the, the, the Catholic priest that uh, during 9-11, during the attacks, was there at the World Trade Center mm-hmm. and perished um, yeah. there. And there's a, a very iconic photo of him being carried out by the men and women of FDNY. Right. Um, and yeah. you know, God, God bless him and God rest his soul. Uh, and I'm sorry for your loss because no, it was it was a, it was a tough. Uh, so I say goodbye to those guys, and about eight of them were dead the next day, including Father Judge. So we leave. We go to LaGuardia Airport. We check our bags, and there's the four of us, and I I was the only one with a phone. So it starts to rain, and a lot of people don't remember what happened the night before September 11th, but I do. Because I was stuck. I was in LaGuardia. And we're looking up at the board where it says, delay, delay, delayed all these flights. We kept looking. And it's raining now. It's almost raining sideways. And I'm thinking, holy shit. It's how we go. And now we see canceled. So we go up to the counter. And uh, the attendant says, okay, uh, you can, this is where, uh, when USA was still around. Uh, you confirmed uh, to leave uh, six something in the morning. Uh, September 11th, uh, you have to change planes in Pittsburgh. Okay. So I called my daughter, Jeannie, who lived in uh, Westchester. Uh, her husband, my son-in-law, came down, picked us up. We drove to their house. We laid down, had a bite to eat, and we got up about 4.30 in the morning, and Michael took us back to LaGuardia, and uh, we get on a plane. And uh, we, it, ironically, boys, we... We, we fly right down the East River. You know, I, I don't know. I'm looking out the window. I'm showing these Florida guys. Hey, look, that's the Chrysler building. Yep. You know how they are. Oh, there's yeah. a UN yep. Empire State Building. Oh, there's the Trent Towers. Yep. Statue of Liberty. We fly right over to Staten Island, my, the, the, the big garbage dump. <laughs> uh, and, you know, I, and now we, now we land in Pittsburgh. So we're changing planes. Now it's about quarter to nine. So Wayne Jones, one of the chiefs with me, he goes down to the head. The other chief and George Koontz, who gave us the helmet, they get on the, they get on the plane. And back in those days, the pilots standing outside with the attendants and everybody's BSing out there. And I'm just standing there. And uh, I hear Wayne Jones screaming my name from down the corridor. In, in, in the in the terminal. Jerry, Jerry, hurry up, come down here. And uh, I walk down, I'm thinking, why is he screaming? And he's in a restaurant outside and he looks up and I look up and there, there I see uh, the tower on, the first tower on on fire. Yeah. And, I, and I, I know immediately that my brothers are going in and going up and then I'm like, holy shit, what the hell is going on? And I, I actually thought it was a, 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 a sightseeing plane. I really did. My initial thought was that's what it was. So we go back, and now 
the pilot sees me. I am white as a ghost. And he says, you all right? I said, no, a plane just ran into a plane. Some plane ran into the World Trade Center. So we, I stumble on the plane. I get on. Now I'm telling the people around that are sitting near me, including Tobin and George. And the pilot comes on. He says something over the speaker. We're getting out of here. A mishap, something like that in New York. And he battles out. You know, everybody locks everything down, all the doors and shit. And we back out from here to, oh, God, I don't know, 1,000 feet or something. It wasn't far. He stops the plane. He comes on again and says, uh, the FAA has just grounded off all commercial airline flights in the United States. And we're looking at each other like, what, what, what's going on? So we get off the plane and in Pittsburgh airport to total pandemonium. Yeah. Never saw anything like it in my life. People running, screaming, Steve. Like, what the hell is going on here? So we, uh, I said, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't know what's going on. I'm not staying in Pittsburgh. I'm getting the hell out of here. I said, I want to go back to New York. I'm thinking, how the hell am I going to get to New York? I'm in Pittsburgh. So we, let's go, we, we better rent a car. So we all go on a different line. Avis, Hertz, I don't, even, I don't even remember what it was. We got a car finally. But this took a long time, sure. a long time. You just didn't, I mean, there was. Everybody was, wanted a car. Pardon me? Everybody was looking to get a car. It was it was chaos. Yeah. I mean, everybody was dumped. All these planes yeah. now, there's mm-hmm. people. So uh, we get a car, and we leave the airport, and Wayne says, we got to get a charger. Uh, we got to get a charger, and we got to get a map, because we're in Pittsburgh. So we stop in a mall or some, I don't know. He runs in and gets a charger for my phone, and now we put the radio on. And now we hear that a second plane has hit a second tower. Because don't forget now, we've been out of it in the, right. in the airport waiting to get a car. And then we hear that uh, the Pentagon was bought. I mean, this is all had, had already happened. Right. We're just catching up. Well, people don't remember. You know, we've got a lot of young people that listen to this podcast. People don't remember. There weren't smartphones yet. There wasn't oh, this no. instant information in your pocket yet. You had a phone if you were lucky, like you had one. I had one then. Mm-hmm. And, and it was a phone call. That's all that phone did was make a phone call. So the information wasn't widely uh, spread like it is today right. Right. unless you were in front of the TV. And there was a tremendous amount of misinformation at the time. Oh, yeah. Oh. It was chaos. Uh, a lot of uncertainty. There was a, a lack of clarity as to what happened, what was happening. Uh, I remember being in my car in the morning and hearing there were seven or eight or nine planes that had been hijacked and that, you know, the White House was uh, all sorts of crazy stuff oh, yeah. that ha- was being reported uh, on the news at that time. And there, there, it was just, it was chaos. It was yeah. a chaotic day. It was, it was. So, so now we have the radio on, we find out Shanksville. And, and I remember Wayne saying, Jesus Christ, Shanksville, that's right near us. We're in Pittsburgh. So I said, we got to stop. Oh, then we're riding and the reporter on the radio says, Oh my God, the tower collapsed. Now I am really, cause I saw them being built when I was going to 23 truck and all I'm thinking, they could go, how could a, how could those towers go? How could a tower come down? Well, guess what? Then the second one comes down. We're we're listening to this in the yeah. car. I said, oh shit, we, we gotta we we gotta find a place. So we're on some turnpike, someplace out of Pittsburgh, and we rush in, and 
that's when we saw that terrible scene of that cloud. The cloud. You're gone. How the hell can two hundred and something stories buildings be gone? So now we go outside and I had the phone and I I said, I got got to make a call. So I call fire headquarters. How I ever got through is a miracle. I don't know. I get I get fire headquarters and I get one of the secretaries on the phone. I think it was Lisa. And she's crying hysterically, passing the phone around, screaming, they're all dead, Jerry. They're all gone. I mean, I shit. I mean, just with them, just with them the day before, you know, all the, all the chiefs, Fian, Pete Gancy, chief of department, Michael Judge. Oh, anyway, we drive all night. We get back here on Wednesday. The attack happened on Tuesday. Yep. Uh, this is Wednesday. Uh, go back to work on Thursday. I said to Tobin, the chief, I, I, I got to go to New York. I, I don't care about my job here. I'm going back. And prior to all of this, uh, Maria and I had bought tickets to fly on, I think it was Friday, uh, to attend our, our grandson's uh, um, baptism in, uh, in Philadelphia. So we flew from uh, Fort Myers to Philly on USA with about eight people on the plane. There was nobody. You remember everybody, oh, yeah. the FAA, everybody was scared shit. Everybody was looking at everybody, you know. And uh, so we got up there and uh, we christened Jack on Sunday. And that afternoon, I uh, somehow I reached Von Essen at headquarters. And I said, Tommy, I'm, uh, I'm in Philly and I want to come back. He said, please come back. So uh, Monday, I borrowed a, a, a relative's car in Jersey, and I drove back up, and I stopped on the Garden State Parkway because I wanted to see my son, my oldest son, because I had no idea. I didn't know what was happening in New York. Yeah, you know, and uh, I just wanted to hold Glenn, and uh, I stayed there for a while, and then. Uh, Drove up to New York and uh, going over the Verrazano Bridge, looking at that scene with that cloud. Still there. Yep. I mean, this, this was uh, this was six days later. Yeah. This was the Monday following the Tuesday attack. So that night, uh, a fireman that worked for me in the press office, Paul Annunziata, he drove me over to Ground Zero. And there I was standing on Monday night on West Street, some 50 feet in the air. Uh, it was unreal, it's it, it crazy. I couldn't, I, I, I thought it was a movie set. I thought this was over in Europe. I, I mean, this happened over there, it didn't happen here. Yeah. How could it happen in my city? Anyway, uh, that night I wound up uh, uh, back in the press office on my old couch. And then uh, the next day they said, uh, Vanessa said, we want you to go back and work with Rudy and his press people. So I, I did that uh, on Pier uh, 92 in the Hudson River uh, with Mayor Giuliani, and we did uh, news conferences every two hours. And uh, and then, uh, uh, okay, so I'm there, and I'm thinking, where the hell am I going to sleep? Jesus. Uh, by that time, I had picked up, uh, I had a, a rolling little cart that my daughter gave me, and I had 
plastic bags. They had given me toothpaste and all that stuff and a pair of boots. And I looked like, a, I looked like crap. I had no change of clothes, really. And then uh, I was working that whole day on the pier. And I kid that worked for me, Cookie, Frank McCartan, was supposed to get me a place to sleep that night. Well, just then the, the hospital ship SS Hope came up from Baltimore. In fact, President Trump just used it last year for the COVID. COVID, yeah. And uh, so by that, by six o'clock at night and everybody's gone, there I am still on the pier. I said, well, I guess I got to take my sorry ass on the ship. So there I was back on the, on a ship in a bunk that I hadn't been in since 1958 with somebody's ass about four inches above my head, you know, and, uh, but that's what you did. There was cops, there was firemen, there was troopers. There was, you know, you just did anything just to relax, you know? So I stayed there that night. And then the next day I was back on the pier and cookie came by and, uh, he said, and, and with him were two big, huge New York state troopers. And he said, uh, commissioner, I said, it's about time you got that right. I said, you know, I've been up here for a couple of days, you know. Uh, so I'm laughing in these two big troopers with the big hats. Oh, yeah. So uh, Cookie says, they're taking you to the Waldorf tonight. I said, oh, it's about, God, it's about time you took care of me. So uh, off he goes, and there I am with these two troopers. Now, this is, you know, in, in tragedies, there's always some humor. Has to I be. Always, you know, so... We leave there, and by this time, I'm pulling all these bags and crap, and we go down to this big car with all, all these arrows sticking out of the trunk, and they go off with lights and sirens, and I finally kept, pull over, pull over. Pull over. I said, listen, stop this commissioner bullshit. I'm not a commissioner. I'm Jerry Sanford. I came back. I volunteered from, from Florida. I said, you got to go to Macy's. I said, i got to get underwear. So they're looking at me. They turn around. They're like, what? i got to get underwear. Man, I, what am I gonna do? I feel like a. Uh, so we go to we go to we go to Macy's. Now I got another plastic bag. So now I got about seven plastic bags on my arms. I'm pulling this cart with the and I, and boots. So we go to the Waldorf, and of course the Waldorf. Most mm-hmm. well, psychotic hotel in New York. Every entrance is closed. I have one entrance with a with a metal detector. And I look like crap. I'm on this side with all my stuff. And on the other side is a guy with a pad. And he's looking at me like, uh, you know, deliveries usually go around the rear, you know. But uh, <laughs> we'll put up with And uh, he said, who are you? I said, I'm Jerry Sanford, I said, from the New York City Fire Department. He's okay, Mr. Sanford, come on in. You're on. You're on the... So I go in, and now, now all these beautiful uh, stairs that – movie stars and queens and kings and everybody have climbed these years and here comes jerry with his bag of bags i'm halfway up and the, my underwear comes out of the plastic bag from macy's and slides all the way down his stairs you know <laughs> like i said like i said there's humor there's humor and tragedy but uh i stayed up there uh they treated me incredibly well uh I come back on the. I, I came back to Florida on a couple of weekends, probably uh, two weeks in between. I had to get dressed clothes because I went from being on the pier with the mayor to going with Von Essen, and we were going a constant. You know, I don't have to tell you yeah, how many funerals, how many wakes, how many guys we buried. Yeah. 
over and every day, every day. And uh, so uh, I stayed up there till uh, probably the middle of October and uh, then came back to Naples. I had, uh, uh, I, I couldn't do it anymore. I, just, I couldn't go to any more funerals. The guys of the 343, I must have worked or known about half of them. Uh, so it, it got to be, uh, it got to be real down after a while. I said, I got to get back. So I came back here to Naples and, uh, just to skip ahead to, uh, back in January, uh, my lady, Chris, who you've seen, uh, who I knew, uh, we're together six and a half years. She had been recording my stories, uh, on her phone secretly, not knowing, not letting me know. And then in January, she said, you know, uh, you've told me all your stories and how you think you should write a book, but I've been writing things down. Anyway, she uh, wrote 12,000 words. Uh, and the name of the book, it's, it started with a helmet. I was fortunate enough to get that copy, Jerry, that you sent me and what a great ah, read. What a great you. read. And I appreciate you guys sending it up and man, uh, I'm not a guy that reads a lot of books if it's not for work or, or something else, just because of the time. But, I sat down and I think I read that book in an afternoon. Uh, and man, it, yeah. your, your story is just captivating. Um, how you. everything happened, you know. Um, I'm, uh, my condolences for for your first wife. Um, yeah, and the Thank fight. In the fight, uh, I'm glad that yeah. you pulled through your fight. And for those who who haven't read the book, and hopefully they will. Uh, uh, spoiler alert: You had your own battles uh, after 9/11. Yeah. Um, I did with that I big scene. Thank you, Steve. It's been a, uh, yeah. Uh, so uh, after 20 years, uh, we, we, we wrote, she wrote the book. She wrote my stories, 12,000 words, and put it in. It started with a helmet. And uh, it's amazing. I mean, people have asked me, you know, what, what I don't know. That I, I'm, I'm a real, not a ultra religious guy, but I mean, something, the good Lord, I retired. I go back. I come down here. I unretire. I go to this CPR course. Find out about this job, find out about this helmet, and take it back on September 10th. I mean, you know, and I'm with those people, with Father Judge, with with the Chiefs, and then um, the shit hits the fan, and everything, the whole world changes the next day. You know, September 11th. It's just well, I, I believe in God, and I believe He has mysterious ways of working, and putting you up there on September 10th. And putting you back with Tom Van Essen when he needed you most and putting you in Giuliani's office, those things all happen for a reason because, you know, we can tell from your personality and reading your book and your words that you're a calming presence. You know, you, you, you have that humor about you. And like you said, in tragedy, there's humor and people need that. You know, I'll never forget Giuliani going on Saturday Night Live after 9-11. And the uh, big question was, is it okay to laugh now? And what was his response, mm -hmm. if you remember? Why start now? with Saturday Night Live, and that got the chuckle. And then he said, it's, it's okay to laugh now. Sure. Um, you know, I also yeah. believe in, in the, 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 the great beyond and their connection with us. And uh, quite frankly, one of your friends that perished that day is the one that knocked your, your underwear out of your bag, probably, to get a rise out of you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah. whoever yeah. had the biggest right. sense of humor is the guy that was messing with you most, just to let yeah. you know, hey, it's okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, yeah. It just uh, – I've had a great run. You know, I'm 83 years old, and I do it all again in a New York minute. In fact, in August, we went back to 27 to, to 42 truck. 
because I wanted to see the helmet. It was 20 years. So I, wow. I called up there and uh, I spoke to the uh, spoke to a fireman and his name is uh, Scooter Rizzuto of all people. No kidding. That's his name. <laughs> Scooter Rizzuto. And I hate the Yankees. Of all, of all, <laughs> I said, what's your name? He says, Scooter, my name is Scooter Rizzuto. I said, that's perfect. Perfect. You're in 42 truck. He's a chauffeur in 42 truck. But anyway, he made it happen. Chris and I flew to New York. And we went up to the South Bronx. We went to 42. And uh, a number of the retired guys came back to meet, to see me, you know. And we made a, a CBS. We had coverage, New York One and uh, Bronx Channel 12. So we, we got a lot of coverage about me we, we going back to see the helmet. You know, it was 20 years, you know, uh, this September 11th. Uh, and there it is. It's, it's proudly displayed in the quarters of Ladder 42. And uh, I've made, you know, reconnected with these guys. And, uh, but you know, the brotherhood, I don't have to tell you guys, you know it's how remarkable. it is. It's a remarkable and, story. Uh, it just goes, uh, in fact, Chris said to me when we were almost at the end of her finishing the book, she said, do you have a picture of the, of the helmet? I said, shit, no, I don't have a picture. I said, wait a minute. I get my phone. She's, what are you doing? I said, I'm calling a firehouse. She said, you're going to call a firehouse? I said, of course. Why wouldn't I call a firehouse? That's right. I call 42 truck. I mean, it's like I just did it yesterday, right. you know, <laughs> I said that the fireman answers the phone. So-and-so, uh, a letter for energy, 73, I said, I'll put the officer of the truck on. I think it's on the phone. It's a captain. Hey cap, I'm Jerry Sanford. You don't know me, blah, blah, blah. I'm the guy with the helmet. Holy shit. The helmet. What do you need? Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I need? said, I need a picture of the helmet. He said, give me 20 minutes. Next thing you know, 20 minutes, I get eight pictures on, on my phone. Right. That's the brotherhood. Remarkable. I said to Chris, this is this is how we, you can call. I don't care where you are in the world, where you are in the night. You say the magic words. You're on the. Uh, I get. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sorry. Sure. Forgive me. No, it's it's for sure and it's for life. Uh, every guest that we've been able to have on this podcast is is in the same mindset. Whatever you need, right? Whatever you need, and that's how it's, it it always is. And that's why I love being a part of this. I love having this podcast where we can exemplify what guys are doing because it's so much bigger than the job. Uh-huh. It's so much bigger. People don't understand it if they're not in it. And this is just a little bit of a window that we can show them, you know, how Thank much you. we care about Thank each you. other, how much we care about our communities uh, oh. and, and really making them better. It takes a special person to put on that badge and it takes more of a special person to do even more when that badge is in our locker. And that's our whole preface. That's right. That's right. Well, so that's my story, boys. Uh, uh, you know, I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to uh, tell my story and uh, and share what you thought about our book and uh the, the, another nice thing a big thing is, that's come from the book is we're getting it out to the schools because our educational system as you all know they're not teaching anything about 9 11. oh it's a bad and, thing that uh, happened on gotten, a bad day right jerry that's what they're saying now you gotta be kidding me i mean they're saying it's a bad thing that happened on a bad day oh yeah it's oh disgusting yes, yes so we're we've been sending books out to different uh schools to teachers to educators and i'll ask you to spread the word if anybody wants the book please reach out to us we'll be happy in fact uh we did a a zoom meeting about a week before 9 11 in which uh, a school up in uh, northern ohio eight eighth grade uh classes and they listened to me and and chris and they sent us, we do, we do a crazy thing at night. 
you're going to laugh. I'm probably the oldest one ever do it. It's called TikTok. <laughs> All right. You talk about, they call me the OG, the old goat, which is right. <laughs> okay. This is the amount of letters I got back from these eighth grade children. That's incredible. And at night I get choked up reading what they say about nine 11 and, and about what I did. I mean, it's, it's incredible. The, the word is getting out slowly, but that's, that's really, if anything comes out of this book, is that we're getting the story out. And it's, as you know, uh, Steve, I didn't mention any of the stuff that we saw down there. No, you know, none of right. that negative. I'm not even going to use the words. You yeah. know what I'm talking about yeah. uh, down there that horrible day. Well, we had Mitch Serlin on, uh, on an episode. Mitch was one of the canine guys down there that was okay. part of the recovery efforts. So, you know, People who were down there, you know, I, I was very ancillary going down with bringing food down to first responders from the Culinary Institute of America, where, where, okay. where I work, you know, but if you saw any of it, even the people who just saw it on TV, will never forget those moments and nor should we ever forget. No, but the, no. the day I want to remember more Jerry than nine 11 and nine 10 is nine 12 oh, and boy. how America came together as well. Oh. And if we no, can't I get back to that, we're in a lot of trouble in our future. We were all New Yorkers. I say that a lot. You know, it's we true. were all one. You couldn't find a flag to buy. That's you right. could just couldn't find them. That's right. And I remember, I know other guests that you'll have on. We're on West Street. There was only one way. At, at, it got to the point. There was only, it only, you could only go in one way. And that was going south on West Street. Maybe we went to Canal Street and made a left and you went down. But there were thousands of, I will never forget this, there were thousands of strangers, thousands of people standing there. USA, USA, yep. thanking us. I mean, I, 2 o'clock in the morning, 5 o'clock in the morning, it didn't matter. They were there cheering us first responders on. I mean, that's gone. We lost it. I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened. So... If we can get the word out to the children uh, that, you know, and these letters, uh, I mean, they just light me up when I hear that, how, what these kids, thank you, thank you, thank you for telling them. Because a lot of the teachers, a lot of their parents, you know, they they don't know what's going on right. about 9-11. Mm. Yeah. So, uh, again, thank you, man. I really I really appreciate you uh, taking the time and having me on your show. Jerry, if there, if there was something you could tell these young people who want to attain the level that you did in the FDNY or want to be an author, just if you could give them one piece of advice, if they're listening, what would you tell a young person today? Well, to start off with love each other. You know, my mother used to say, Gerald, it doesn't cost anything to be nice to people. And if, if it's anything I could say is those words, be nice to each other. I don't know what's going on. Everybody, everybody has a long pusses on now. But let's get away from that. Let's get back to where we were unified. We we're all one, you know, and uh, volunteer and help. Uh, go be a Boy Scout, a Girl Scout or something like that. Don't be in, a, in the police auxiliary, in the fire uh, explorer clubs or something or, or the military. And uh, I, I don't mean to, to, to knock the colleges, but you know what? We talk about this on TikTok just the other night. And I think everybody goes to college now and they 
that the, the student debt, the amount of student debt is astronomical. It's through the roof. And they come out, whatever their degree is in, and they're making peanuts. They're making thirty, forty thousand dollars a year, and it takes them years. We have two hands. You know, a college education is not for everybody. Right. So for you kids out there, I tell these kids at night, you know, there's a big hole in the manufacturing and everything of this country. So it does. it's not harm to be a truck driver. There's nothing wrong than being an HVAC installer or a plumber or electrician. And uh, I went to high school. My father wanted me to become an electrician, but this is off the grid. So I took, I majored, I went to a, a technical and vocational high school to be an electrician. I graduate and uh, he says to me, I got a job for you. Oh, really? Where's that? Banker's Trust Company, because he was a banker. Oh, that's great, Pop. I'm glad I went to all these years at, at a technical school, and now I'm going to become a banker. Okay? So uh, that was the end of my career. So my point, what I'm trying to say is just because you go, you start and you get your education in one field, that doesn't mean that that's what you're going to be. Yeah, sure. I was 27 years old. I became a police officer. Yeah. Did I ever think way back? Somebody asked me the other night. Uh, at 20, I said, at 20, I was married at 20. I said, now you can't get kids to get two socks together at 20. <laughs> I said, never, never mind. 20 years old being married? Oh, no, I don't think so. Not now. Not now. But anyway, I don't mean to go on and on, but no. please love each other, like each other, and help each other out. I love it. You Jerry, the, the one question we always end with with our guests is how do you define a hero? I tell you, the heroes are. I have a picture right here on the wall. My 343 brothers, they were the heroes. They pulled up on their rigs. They knew this was the biggest thing in their lives. And they went in without hesitation and helped thousands of people to evacuate. And people call me a hero. I'm no way near a hero. I might have had my time in the job. I saw my crap. But my brother's right here. I'm looking at him now. 343. Those are the heroes. And the heroes are the men in blue, the firefighters that are out there today on the rigs and going to all of these stuff out there. They're the heroes, well, not Jerry. I, I agree with you, Jerry, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to not agree with one thing. And I do think you're a hero. And I think that anybody that is willing to put themselves in harm's way to help another is an absolute hero. You did that for so many years. Without hesitation, you went towards the danger. And now sharing your story, that's also another heroic effort in a different way where you're able to share this, this story with these kids who weren't even born yet or right. weren't old enough to understand what was happening. That's very special. So thank you so much for sharing your story. Thanks for coming and talking to us. I feel honored to speak with you. And, I salute you. And, uh, you know, I hope next time you're up in New York, we can get together for a beverage. Then four. We'll Sounds good, happen. guys. I am so happy to be one of the podcasts, and Jerry's been on many. You know, we're not taking all the glory here because uh, he's on his own publicity tour yeah, for yep. the book. But I am so thrilled to be one of the ones that gets to capture his story. Yeah, that was awesome. That was so cool. You know, Justin, one of the things we've been doing is we, we have many guests that come through the doors here in the mm -hmm. studio that we have set up. And, you know, every once in a while we ask guests to stay. 
Yeah, you know, it's it's a we got a cool environment here. It's casual, and if someone wants to hang out and and hear the next interview, and and we have the room to do it, why not? So we had a couple guests stay for this one, and one of them, and I'm not going to get into anything, but one of them was down there at nine eleven, and it got emotional in here a little bit. It, it really did, and even yeah. Jerry got emotional. And I got to tell you, what a story! Yeah, what a story I, yeah. to hear, man. And I, you know, hey, here's the good news: this is going to be on right before Christmas. If you want to get a great gift for somebody, I think you could go. You can. You can go right on yeah, Amazon. Amazon everywhere. Barnes and Noble. And it Amazon, started with a helmet. Jerry Sanford. With helmet. You can. You can pick up the book. It's. It's very reasonably priced. Yep. It's. It's going to a great cause. One of the things Jerry's doing, and he mentioned it, is he's giving these books away to students and to mm-hmm. teachers and and to schools to not forget the story of nine eleven. Yeah, it's so important. It's so important, and it, it's something that. Uh, uh, you know, I've mentioned before, you when you hear these stories, you always get a perspective that you don't get without them. And the one that really resonated with me on this one was the weather on nine ten. Nine ten. If you remember that, he mentioned that, and I, I, it really took me back. Say, yeah, you know what? No one remembers what happened the day before nine eleven. Uh, I'd have no idea what the what the hell the weather was. And for him to talk about rain, that's just almost inconceivable to me because of how beautiful nine eleven was in New York here. So wild, wild stuff. Just a great story. I'm I'm so happy that he got it down on paper and is able to share that. And again that we are one of the one of the many, but definitely a personal touch to us to grab that story and, and be able to share it with you guys. So make sure that uh, you do support Jerry and, and everything he's doing by going to Amazon, buy that book. Uh, it started with a helmet and uh, support the cause, man. Yeah. And it's, a, it's a, like you said, it's a perfect gift for someone. It's, it's just a, a perfect read. gift. Yeah. Easy read. It's, it's a great book. It's uplifting. It's positive. It's, it's, a, it's a great book. Great well, story. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening to Behind the Tin and hearing about how our heroes are heroes with a tin on and off. Make sure you like, follow, subscribe, and share BehindTheTin.com. And make sure to uh, leave us a voicemail. It's a new feature on our website. If you go to BehindTheTin.com, there's a little button of a microphone. You can click it and leave us a voicemail that we will play on the air if it's appropriate. And while you're doing that, make sure you click and buy us a coffee, too. Coffee in air quotes, of course. But you can be a cocktail of a conversation by buying us a, a coffee. Yeah, and we're always appreciative, especially at Christmas time. So once again, everybody, ho, 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 look out for one another. And stay safe. <laughs>